Hey, welcome to the podcast of The Kelly Cutrera Show for Monday, November 16th. Pharmaceutical companies are offering the government a billion dollars. What do they want? Well, they want something. We'll find out coming up. But let's start off the podcast with my conversation with Peel's Chief Medical Officer of Health, who has decided to get tough on businesses during the pandemic. Thanks for having me, Kelly. Maybe you could give us some details on what exactly Section 22 is and what increased powers it actually gives bylaw officers and uh, and the city. Yeah, so a Section 22 order under the Health Protection and Promotion Act allows us to uh, direct uh, certain actions that must be taken uh, to limit the spread of a communicable disease. Uh, and uh, so it uh, it's directed at either uh, a person or a class of persons. And in this case, I've uh, now uh, issued two Section 22 orders in my region. Uh, one is to individuals who have COVID-19 or have been exposed. Uh, they need to self-isolate um, and, uh, you know, per the regulations. And most recently, we issued a Section 22 orders to uh, workplaces who have uh, an outbreak of COVID-19, and that directs them to uh, take steps to protect their workers and to work with us in outbreak investigations. Okay, the first one is problematic, mainly because there's a lot of people that are in, um, uh, they work either part-time, they work in precarious job situations, and the fear is that they may not um decide to stay home. So how does this force them to stay home? Yeah, so the first one was issued back in April with a recognition uh, that uh, there were lots of people, uh, you know, that were having, um, uh, that, that were out and about uh, and maybe not aware of the self-isolation requirements. So that, that's been in, uh, enforced for quite some time. But I absolutely agree with you. One of the biggest challenges that we have uh, in Peel is uh, we, we really uh, have a lot of workplace outbreaks that are associated with people who are exactly as you described. You know, they're, they're struggling to make ends meet and they're having the challenge of deciding, you know, doing the right thing to stop spread and stay home or actually showing up at work and potentially exposing colleagues or coworkers. Um, and so we've seen plenty of workplace outbreaks that have occurred with that, which really speaks to the need. Uh, we're not going to come down heavy handed on people uh, for, for making those choices. Absolutely not. What we're actually trying to send here is a message that companies need to make sure, and a lot of companies work with us, but they need to make sure that if their workers are sick, they need to be doing the right thing and encouraging them to stay home and giving them paid sick leave. Uh, and we also continue to advocate that, you know, the provincial government look at this because really uh, paid sick leave is one of the best ways uh, that you can actually encourage uh, folks who are sick to, uh, to, you know, take that off the equation, just make sure they stay home and get well. That's really what, what needs to be done. So if there's a business listening to us right now, an owner of a business in, in Peel, you'll be fined up to $5,000 a day for failing to act if somebody comes to work sick knowing that they have COVID-19 and you've let them work. That's exactly right. I want to make very clear here. Most of the businesses we've worked with, they've done a great job of trying to put in place precautions. Uh, they've done a great job of trying to protect their employees. They know how serious this is. Uh, this Section 22 does not just uh, issue fines uh, for uh, for you know having an outbreak. Uh, what it does do, though, is it says you are not taking steps to ensure that employees who are either exposed or sick with COVID-19 are staying at home, their jobs protected, you know, that kind of stuff. And if you're not taking those steps to protect your workers, if you're not taking steps to make sure there's precautions put in place when there's an outbreak that happens, or if you're not cooperating with us if we're trying to stop an outbreak in your facility, uh, then we may pursue, uh, you know, fines through the legal system because it's really important uh, that we keep everyone safe and that we make sure that we're, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to stop the spread in our community. You understand that uh, it, 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 one of the things I think you've said is it's more costly 
to um, risk an outbreak and having to shut down your whole plant when it comes to, you know, some of the places that are most at risk. They're the industrial settings, the food uh, processing uh, industry in Brampton. It, it's more costly to the business to not send an individual employee home. Absolutely. I would, I would say, you know, a few sick days uh, compared to having to have either a partial or total shutdown uh, of a plant or worse, if we need to start shutting things down more broadly, like we saw in the spring. I mean, I think those are sort of costs that need to be accounted for when, uh, when people are uh, thinking about, well, you know, I'm going to make them work anyway. You know, they've asked me for time off, but uh, I think they could just mask and whatever. Like, you know, there's no there's no two ways about it. The right thing to do if someone has COVID-19 is that they should be allowed to stay home to get better, to make sure they're not infecting anyone else. And same for people who are isolated because they've been exposed, because we do know this contagious. They can return to work and they can still spread it, even if they feel perfectly well. So uh, it's uh, it's really important that if uh, if employees um, are either sick or haven't been exposed, they need to be able to, to stay home and, and have that protection to know that they're doing the right thing. And does Section 22 also mandate if you just feel uh, you haven't been tested for COVID-19, you suspect you have it, that uh, businesses still have to let you go home? Yeah, that's uh, so I, I the wording of the order is really, really clear that it's an individual who uh, has COVID-19 or who has been exposed, which may include testing, uh, really that uh, it's up to employers. And we know most employers do this. I got to say, I got to just repeat it. A lot of employers mm-hmm. out there are taking every precaution. They're doing the right thing. It's for the folks that are saying, well, you know what? I don't believe that stuff. You should come in and work now. They they. Yeah, we, we, we're, we're asking them to take this seriously and certainly to support their employees in any way they can, which would include ensuring that they get tested if they need to. Are you shocked that Doug Ford hasn't already uh, mandated that there be sick days implemented? You know, I think uh, certainly the premier and the province are, are working on you know a number of different fronts. Uh, you know, and I think there's a lot of st- a lot of really great work that our provincial government has been doing in trying to slow the spread of COVID. Uh, but I, I, you know, I can't emphasize enough. I think something along the lines of income supports, uh, something along the lines of worker protections to make sure people aren't fired because they have to isolate for COVID. Like, I mean, these are really critical pieces that will help incentivize the right behavior in Peel Region. And the challenge is. Uh, you know, we have so many different things happening in Peel. There's stuff happening in social gatherings, workplaces, uh, mm-hmm. all over in public spaces. Uh, even if we were to move to broader closures and curtailments, one thing we wouldn't solve is the problem. We've got a lot of essential workers and a lot of essential workplaces, and this keeps happening time in, time out. So getting workers home if they're sick or exposed is absolutely critical. And I, I mean, I, I certainly hope there'll be uh, steps taken to ensure that. Peel's place has been placed in the red zone for the province's tiered plans. Uh, you're able, as the uh, medical officer of health, to you know deem that that restrictions could get even stronger. How disappointing was it over the the weekend to find out that some people uh, did not follow public health guidelines and were crowding to celebrate Diwali? Uh, well, you know, I think the reality is we, we've tried to work very closely with the community uh, in, in trying to get the word out. Um, the big thing is, no matter where it is, whatever community, whoever it is, at this point in time, our advice for everyone is, is pretty much the same. Stay home as much as you possibly can. Rest in close, close contact uh, with your family uh, and the people. Well, rest, rest in contact with the people you already live with at home and one or two essential supports. And for everything else outside the home, only go in person if you absolutely have to work, school, etc. I mean, 
this, this is not the time for large social gatherings, no matter what the reason is. And uh, I know that our community has beaten back the first wave before, and we need to come together to reduce our contact interactions to try to uh, get this second wave under control and peel. I agree with you. It's not the time for large social social gatherings. But the province says that for religious services, weddings, funerals, the number is still 100 people outdoors. When are we going to see things change when it comes to uh, religious services? Because it doesn't matter what religion you're talking about. The virus does not discriminate. It's a great question. And I, I've certainly heard from many people in our community and also many religious leaders in our community. Uh, we know how important expressions of faith are to our residents. Uh, however, you're absolutely right. You know, we have evidence. Uh, we, we've seen uh, outbreaks uh, and uh, in case investigations at over 50 different uh, places of worship uh, just in the past, uh, in, in October. Um, and uh, it's either someone showing up sick at a place of worship uh, and passing it on to someone else or uh, someone uh, acquiring it from a place of worship, a uh, person unknown. And so it really is a, a reason why I've been trying to work with our uh, faith leaders in our community. And I know a lot of them have also done really good work about just really understanding at this point in time, even just temporarily, uh, to consider moving services either back to the drive-through and drive-in services or virtual services uh, as much as possible, just while we're trying to get this under control. Yeah, I mean, technology is just at our fingertips. We've never been more connected, and it seems to me that we need to pull back in all areas of our life. I know Toronto right now is focusing their new education campaign on this group, 18 to 40-year-olds that just aren't getting the message. Are you concerned? Is that the group you're most concerned about as the uh, medical officer of health for the region of Peel? Is it the younger group? And how do you propose we reach people that uh, seem to be ignoring messaging? You know, I, I think it's a, it's a few things for us in Peel. And so the 18 to 40 year old group uh, absolutely agree. There are certainly people who are out there filling their social calendars and thinking this is all uh, you know, this is all just overblown or whatever the case might be. So uh, certainly messaging to those people, of course, recognizing that there's not much receptivity on that end uh, is, is, is a challenge. But again, one of our biggest challenges in Peel is just recognizing the disparity that our communities have faced amongst new Canadians, um, amongst, uh, you know, the younger group who are precariously employed. And that's another reason why that young age group has been driven, because they're the ones working the hard manual jobs. They're the ones working the jobs you can't work from home in. Um, and so certainly that's why this Section 22 has come out, because we're trying to get employers to do the right thing to ensure that those people can stay safe. Are you uh, looking at the same kind of measures to restrict further uh, the amount of people going into stores? I know Mayor, Mayor John Tory is kind of mulling that over right now. Could that be a move that you guys would uh, follow suit with in Peel? We're, we're certainly constantly in contact with our colleagues in Toronto as well as across the greater Toronto and Hamilton area and the province. Uh, you know, we're trying to make sure that there's some sort of consistency uh, in what we're approaching with. But at the same time, we're also uh, trying to uh, create and craft restrictions that are uh, that are salient to our local situation. And so in addition to the Section 22 on workplaces, a couple of weeks ago, we also issued a letter of instruction uh, that asks people in Peel, uh, that instructs people in Peel uh, to not have wedding receptions or large social gatherings uh, and uh, certainly to uh, to certain places of worship, as I mentioned, to really try to think about virtual and uh, and um, uh, drive-in services. So, uh, you know, I think we'll always continue to do what we can do to protect our community and uh, we'll look at any option. If we're seeing, if we're seeing things there, we, we will certainly consider measures. Dr. Lowe, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. All right. I want to talk about this story that caught my eye about the pharmaceutical industry offering uh, Ottawa some money to change some rules in some 
uh, legislation that is going to be starting on January 1st. Uh, it, it pertains to pharmaceuticals and the fact that Canada has among the highest patented medicine prices in the world. And these high prices negatively affect the ability of us to gain access to new medicines. So the Innovative Medicines Canada, it's a lobby, lobby group for uh, the pharmaceutical um, industry in Canada, met with the Minister of Health on October the 16th, and they submitted a written proposal the following week. They still haven't heard back from the government yet, but I understand that part of this proposal is that the government changes some of the uh, wording in the legislation that cracks down on drug pricing policies. And they're set to um, present to the government a billion dollars if they uh, change some of the language, I believe, in the legislation. Here to talk about it and give us some insight, because this sounds just odd to me, Dr. Joel Lechkin, who is emergency doctor, uh, professor at York University, and an expert in pharmaceutical policy. So, doctor, what is the pharmaceutical industry proposing here with this billion-dollar offer? Well... All we know is what we, what I've, at least what I know is what I've seen in the Globe and Mail this morning. Um, the proposal to, in some way, um, put a billion dollars into um, into um, investment in the pharmaceutical uh, manufacturing and research in Canada. But we've seen this before. We saw this in the late 1980s when the industry promised um, to increase the percentage of um, sales that, were go that would go to research and development to 10%. They did achieve that goal in the mid-90s, but it's been downhill ever since. Um, and I think that the same thing would happen to this kind of promise, um, that the industry would keep it for a while and then um, it would gradually fade off into the distance. What's supposed to happen on January 1st when it comes to drug pricing? What's the, there's an organization, a federal organization called the Patented Medicine Prices Review Board, which sets a maximum introductory price for any new patented medication in Canada and then uh, doesn't allow that price to increase by more than the rate of inflation um, until the patent expires. Um, and this legislation, or the, the guidelines around how this legislation works um, are being revised and supposed to come into force on January the 1st. Um, the overall goal is to lower Canadian drug prices to about the average of the um, average of the organization for economic cooperation and development. That's the um, top 30 industrialized countries in the world. Right now, our prices are um, about, I think, about 50% higher than the average. And that's because we use the U.S. and Switzerland as benchmarks when that's we're comparing how much. That's certainly one of the reasons the U.S. is by far the um, highest drug prices in the world. They tend to average two to three times higher than any other industrialized country. And Switzerland is number three in terms of drug prices in the world. 
I know that drug makers and pharmaceutical companies are basically, are they not arguing, okay, fine, uh, you reduce the amount of money we can make, but then, you know, we're going to have to wait and see how, how uh, beneficial it would be to wade into the drug market when it comes to some of the more rare uh, drugs that we could possibly work on. So I guess legislate at your own risk. Is that, is that basically the message that we're getting? Well, that's certainly the threat that we're getting from the industry. Um, whether or not, I don't believe that the industry is going to carry that out. Um, the industry is profit-oriented, which is natural. It's a the kind of um, economy that we're in. And the industry is going to um, bring new drugs into the market if they think they can make money. They'd like to make more money. But um, this, the drug that, that's most commonly brought up around this is a drug for cystic fibrosis, which um, was brought into the, um, the United Kingdom um, at a reduced price. We don't know exactly how, what that price is, but it's not what the company was asking for. Um, the same company brought in two drugs again, for cystic fibrosis into Switzerland at reduced prices. So companies are willing to negotiate. They use the, um, they use the threat of not bringing drugs onto the market to try and get their, their way in the negotiations. But in the end, if there's money to be made, they're willing to, um, to make that money, even if it's not as much as they'd like. I could see how their billion-dollar billion offer could sound attractive, especially at a time like this. I mean, here we are dealing with COVID-19 and the challenges around that. A billion dollars would be nice to have to spend wherever they want. Uh, is that where the money would go, or would that go into the promise of we're investing a billion dollars, not giving you a billion dollars, we're investing a billion dollars in not, uh, future drugs? Not clear from the, um, the news story. There was some hmm. mention that they would make some provisions um, for drugs for rare diseases, um, but that wasn't spelled out in the news story either. Um, drugs for rare diseases often are very expensive. So the one that we're, um, that we're talking about, this drug for cystic fibrosis um, in the United States is selling, I believe, for $300,000 a year per person. <sighs> Um, wow. So they're promising some kind of reduction in the price of these products. But um, I think that Canadian, if Canada bargaining nationally um, for these drugs could get, a, could get a good deal for them, certainly that's the case in Australia. Um, the Australian government bargained with companies for um, drugs to treat hepatitis C, and they got the price reduced from, I believe it was, it would have been about $50,000 Australian per person, um, and they got that reduced to $7,500 per person. Can they actually, can the uh, pharmaceutical companies and the, the lobbying uh, group for pharmaceutical companies, do you think they could actually convince the government to change the legislation by January 1st? I mean, here we are Monday, November the 16th. Well, this isn't actually legislation. These are guidelines. 
So guidelines can be changed um, without going through Parliament. They don't even have to go through Cabinet. Um, but I think that at this point, there's been too much invested by the government into bringing forth these guidelines that they're willing to change them. The guidelines were supposed to come into effect originally on um, July the 1st of this year. And because of industry lobbying and a court decision, that decision was postponed for six months. I don't think the government is willing to risk political capital to postpone that decision again. We're in a situation now where, according to a recent survey, one in four to one in five Canadians have trouble filling prescriptions because of cost. Um, I don't think the government wants to... Um, antagonize people by further delaying the, the implementation of these guidelines. Hey, thanks for tuning into the podcast. Good to have you along. If you've got some time between 9 and noon, we broadcast live three hours daily on 640 Toronto.